Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house. Somebody's got to keep your pastor humble. And I do a very good job at it on the golf course, so... Uh, he needs a lot of prayer on that as well, but it is good to be here at Fellowship Baptist. Always is. Uh, we do definitely enjoy coming here. Uh, I love coming to a church where people want to be at church. And uh, I know that you just come to it every week and you're just used to it, uh, but don't ever take it for granted. And uh, we, as Brother Tyler mentioned, we stepped into a church that uh, loves the Lord, but it just was struggling for a long time and just really holding on. Uh, but as the Lord's been using uh, the people there and the work there, and that excitement is growing, it's getting there. It's always good for me to come to a place where, I mean, you can just see what the Lord can do. Uh, Gainesville is about the same size as Liberal, and the uh, Lord's works here. And uh, your foyer looks fantastic, by the way. Uh, just I can see the work that goes in there. I know Sid barely does anything around here, uh, but um, thankfully does some things. And uh, But I... I it's just a testament uh, to the faithfulness of the people here. Uh, they be able to move forward with that in the school and just all the things going on. And we were here just in May, I believe, and new faces. It's always good to see new faces, and so I'm thankful for that. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn to Matthew chapter number 5. Uh, Matthew chapter number 5. We're going to read one verse here in just a moment. And uh, I'm sure many of you, as soon as you hear that, you immediately know this is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I love this particular portion of Scripture, and especially the Beatitudes, verses 1 through 16. And I would imagine verses 13 through 16 are maybe some of your favorite verses. I'm sure they've been a, a theme for a youth camp or whatever it may be to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And uh, we should desire to be those things. God has called us to be the salt of the earth. He's called us to be the light of the world. But, but I would mention to you tonight before we get into it, that is just the description of what a person that lives verses 3 through 12 looks like. So you can't be salt and you can't be light unless the Beatitudes are something that are real in your life. And we're going to look at one in particular, and it kind of goes along with this holiday that we just celebrated on Thursday about being hungry. Did anybody get enough to eat this week? Just a few. My son only ate rolls, but he apparently got full. And uh, that's how kids roll at uh, Thanksgiving time. So you found your place there in your copy of God's Word in verse number 6. We'll just read this one verse, and then we'll jump right in. This is what Jesus has to say. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness... For they shall be filled. Is there anybody in this room that gets really grouchy when they get tired? <laughs> Some of you, yeah, yeah. I know Brother Rick probably does. I've met him a few times. You know, around our house, when people get like that, we just have this saying, you need a nap. And that means you're tired, you're grouchy. And I know there's people in this room that get grouchy when you're hungry. And then I also am uh, pretty certain there's people that are just grouchy. Any, any people like that here? In 2018, a word was added to the dictionary to describe this disposition that we sometimes face in our life. It's called hangry. Yeah, yeah. We can all relate to being hangry. I'm sure some of you were hangry on Thursday because you were told, hey, be at the house at this time and dinner will be ready. You know that's not true. And you're trying to rush there and get there. But it was true at the Praetors, by the way. Thank you so much, Miss Candy and Brother Rick. But the definition is this bad tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. We've all experienced in our life, we've been to a restaurant and you, they seated you and you ordered and ordered and you looked around at everybody else that was seated after you, that ordered after you and all of a sudden you see their food coming. That doesn't, that doesn't make me happy about things, does it? And you're sitting there, I know we ordered before them. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what the holdup is. And maybe that was you Thursday. Maybe you were uh, frustrated that the meal prep was taking a little bit longer than possible. We don't like to be hungry. We, we, you're already thinking right now. All right, what are we going to eat for dinner? My son's already asked me. I said, we'll figure that out when that comes. 
That's just kind of, we're wired that way. We're wired to, to want something to eat. And if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, we understand this, that it's very countercultural. Jesus says a lot of things when you just read them on the surface, it doesn't make sense. You're thinking, how is that possible? Because when we come to the verse that we read here in verse number 6 of Matthew chapter number 5, Jesus says this, it sounds like this is what he's saying, happy are the starved. I don't know about you, but that's not how it works in my house. That's not how it works in, in, in my life. I know this, that when my kids are starving, they're not the happiest, nicest, most fun people to be around. Neither is my wife. We've been in a situation where they're crying and they're whining and we've experienced it, especially with six kids hanging out at the Praetors. It's we eat and 10 minutes later, like, I want a snack. Like, we just ate. We think to ourselves that happiness is not when we're starved, it's when we have to put sweatpants on because we ate too much. That's true happiness. That's where we want to live. That's how we enjoy life. And when we think about food, one of the greatest things ever invented was a buffet. And you understand that. You're Baptist. You, everybody here loves a buffet. You may not like everything on the buffet, but you find out what you like and you keep going back and forth to it. But I want to, I want to make mention of this, that the Beatitudes are not a buffet. These aren't a pick and choose which ones meet your personality and which ones you think you're, you're kind of more prone to uh, exhibit in your life. No, when Jesus sat down and began to teach them as he saw them gathered around, he didn't say, hey, guys, I got some things that you, you just choose the ones that you like. No, in fact, the Beatitudes, they're a progression that they build one upon another. That Jesus intends for us to display these characteristics there to describe what a true believer of Christ looks like. And when these verses are real in your life and, and you're leaning on the Holy Spirit for the ability to do them, then you'll be the salt. Then you'll be the light. See, it wasn't, a, it wasn't by a happen chance that Jesus started in verse 3 where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That, that poor in spirit has this idea that we're spiritually bankrupt. That we realize that our sin causes this bankruptcy and before God we have really nothing to offer him. Listen, when Jesus Christ saved, you didn't come to him and say, hey, here's what I'm bringing to the table. No, the only thing you brought to the table was your sin. And you were bankrupt and you realize if Jesus Christ didn't step in, if it wasn't for the cross of Calvary and his finished work there, that you were, you were empty. You, you, were, you had nothing. And, and because of that, it causes you to mourn. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. See, that bankruptcy causes us to, to mourn over our sin, which led to that bankruptcy. And when that's in your life and you realize that Jesus Christ died for you and he died for your sin, it should naturally lead to some humility. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus wants us to have that, that humble, Holy Spirit led life. That's what meekness is. It's power under control. Jesus is the greatest example. He had all power. All authority was given unto him. But he he turned it over to the Lord. He was, he was submitted to his will, and the same is true in our life. And as we, we come up into our verse here in verse number 6, we realize this, that it's, it's not enough just to mourn over our sin. It's not enough just to realize that we're spiritually bankrupt and, and, and meekness and humbleness should be in our life. No, it should lead to this. It should lead to a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. It should lead to that, 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 that desire that says, hey, I've had, I've had this of the Lord, I want more. You had something at Thanksgiving, I guarantee you. You took one bite, you think, I'm having more of this. I'm going to go back for seconds for sure. Listen, when you just get a, just a little bit of taste of what the Lord's done for you, when you realize he pulled you out of that pit, out of that miry clay, and he set your feet on a rock, you should instantly say, Lord, I want more of that. It should create a hunger and it should create a thirst in your life. 
See, God doesn't open this, this sermon here and, and want us to punish ourselves because of our deficiencies. We're deficient. In fact, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll talk about it in a minute. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We understand that, but he's not saying, hey, hey, just beat yourself up. No, no. He's saying, you, you understand where you are, but because of that, you need to pursue me. You need to pursue what I can offer, what I can give you. The psalmist says in Psalm 107, 9, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. And that's exactly what Christ is speaking on here in verse number six. He's saying this, if you're hungering and you're thirsting after him, you will be satisfied. You will be filled. You'll, you'll, You'll back away from the table and you'll have all that you need. You have all that he wants to give you. See, Jesus mentions in each of these beatitudes, if you read them, he uses this word, blessed. Did you know Jesus Christ wants you to be blessed? He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have joy. We understand that. There's nobody in this room that says, you know what? I don't want to be happy. I don't want to have any joy in my life. I don't know if this church is like ours, but uh, we have a hard time signing up for things at our church. And then, you know, Brother Sid or Brother Dave or somebody has to get up. Hey, church, we need you to sign up for this. We need you to do this. Listen, if there's a sign-up sheet for everlasting happiness and joy and peace, you'd sign up for that. And listen, Jesus wants you to have that. He, he, he desires for you to have that. And, and we understand it. It's really woven into the foundational fabric of our society. We, we, we know this phrase, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We understand that idea, but here's the problem. We're looking for it in the wrong place many times. We're never going to find it because there's always something bigger and better and faster and newer. I mean, you save all your money up and buy something, and you walk off the lot or walk off something else, there's something brand new already. That's the culture that we live in. But here's something else that we notice in these verses, if we had time to look at all of them. That Jesus never encourages us to pursue happiness. He didn't say, hey, hey, seek happiness with all that you have. No, no. Happiness is always a result of, so, of seeking something else. H- happiness is just the byproduct of pursuing something else. And here's the thing, that true happiness, that true blessedness is found in pursuing God and his righteousness. It's about hungering and thirsting after what Jesus has. He, I mean, here it is very simply in verse number six, if you want to be happy. Here's what you need to have, an intense desire in your heart and your life to be right with God. To, to allow him to be, as, to be as close to him as you want to be, as he, as he desires for you to be. The psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? David tells us in Psalm 63, 8, my soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. We can take all night looking at Psalms and scriptures about seeking after the Lord. That's the same thing that's here in verse number six. This is not a suggestion. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, this is a characteristic that should be evident in your life. It should be seen by all that are around. How can you be the light of the world? How can you be the salt of the earth? You have to hunger after him. See, when, when that light is so shining, they're not seeing our good works. No, they're seeing that we're poor in spirit, that we have nothing to offer the thing. What's different about them? It's because we love the Lord. It's because we're seeking after him. So in order to understand how to hunger and thirst after, after this righteousness, we got to really grasp what righteousness is. 
kind of one of those Bible words that at times, if we're honest, it scares us. We hear words like righteousness and holiness and we think, man, that kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. I think sometimes it does because we know that we aren't those things like we should be. But we really shouldn't get uh, turned off by those words because God is holy and, and God is righteous. Simply this, that Jesus Christ, his righteousness is he's perfect in every single area of life. That he is complete, that he doesn't need anything else. As, as Pastor mentioned this morning, it's Jesus plus nothing. That we're seeking him and, and his righteousness. And the fact is that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a perfect sinless life. And he died that we might be made righteous. Because all that we had to offer was self-righteousness. All that we had to offer was uh, our, our own brokenness. But I love what Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is going to tell these same listeners one chapter over in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's not talking about a kingdom. You know what it's talking about? Every kingdom has a ruler. They were to seek the ruler of that kingdom and his righteousness. They were to be like that king that we are, we are serving and, and all these things shall be added unto you. So when we come to the Bible, we come to this word righteousness and Jesus tells us that we're to hunger and we're to thirst after it. What, what kind of righteousness does he want us to, to display? Well, I think in scripture, we can see a couple different uh, aspects of righteousness. There's this idea of legal righteousness. We mentioned already, but Paul makes it very clear in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we know this, we know that we're not righteous. Isaiah 64 tells us that our righteousness is filthy rags. So we don't, we don't have legal righteousness with Jesus Christ. But here's the thought and here's the, here's the truth of scripture that, that changed my life is when you put your faith and your trust completely in him. And in his finished work of the cross of Calvary, he, he says this, you're righteous. The Bible tells in the book of Romans, it's imputed unto us that he's, he's given it that when Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees his son. That boggles my mind. I mean, I try to explain it as much as I can, but the fact that God loves us that much, that my legal standing in heaven is this righteous. That's what's next to my name. Not because of works that I have done not by works of my own righteousness, but by his precious blood. And because if, if you know Christ as your savior, then you have that. You should be thankful for that. You should be thankful that God saved you and you have a legal standing in heaven. Doesn't mean we're perfect. We know that's not the case. And even if you know Christ as your savior, you, you still mess up quite a bit, don't you? But you're legally righteous before God. But here's the thought, because of our legal righteousness before almighty God, it should create a, a desire in our life to have a moral righteousness, a, a social righteousness that people around us, that the people that we go to school with, the people we work with and our family and our neighbors, they can see something different in us, not a, not a self-righteousness. No, they should see this, a character and a conduct that is pleasing to God. They may not understand it. They may make fun of you about it. They, they, they may call you things like a holy roller. They may, think you, they may say, you, you just think you're better than me, don't you? Oh, no, I don't. No, no, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But, but the idea is this, that, that we do things not to be saved. We do things and we do works for the Lord because we are saved. I mean, read the book of James. 
James is simply getting that thought across that our works, it justifies our faith. That because we're legally righteous before God in heaven and he saved us and changed us completely, he didn't turn over a new leaf. No, no, no. He made us a brand new creature. And because of that, here's what Jesus is saying. Act like a Christian. Act like me. We understand that truth. You think, well, preacher, where should this righteousness be found? In every fiber of our being. It should be found in our hearts and in our mind and in our motives. See, because when Jesus set out and sat down to preach this sermon, they lived in a world much like ours, where it was all about the outside. It was all about presenting righteousness. And, and these, these hearers would understand what a, what a Pharisee would look like and how he would act. And they would walk down the street and say, man, look at that person. They're super religious. Man, they're, they're really, really good people. But Jesus said, you know what? They're just full of dead men's bones. Because they had a, they had a righteousness that seemed real, but it was very superficial. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand through these verses is he wants our heart. That he wants the inside because what's on the inside is eventually going to come out. Because those religious uh, leaders of the day, they seemed all religious, but you know what? They started getting nastier and nastier and nastier to the, po- to the moment where they just said, you know what? We got to kill this guy. I mean, that, that was their motivation. See, this righteousness that Jesus is, is, is calling for us to hunger and, and to thirst after is an inner righteousness. Is, is, is he, he wants us to, to, to give us, to give us uh, his, give him our heart, excuse me. And we understand that, but listen, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to do that sometimes. It, it, it's hard to hunger and thirst after righteousness because so many times we're, we're hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. Things that aren't helping us get closer to the Lord. Things that aren't really important in our life. You know what he desires for us to be? He, de- he desires for us to be like his son. To model our life after him. That's what Romans 8.29 says. That we're to be conformed to the image of his son. That we're to be more and more like him. And that's how verse 16 in this chapter becomes a reality. That we display his righteousness. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus already told us there in verse number 6. We have to hunger and thirst after it. See, these words here, this this hungering and this thirsting, it it carries the idea of this, being extremely desperate. We say phrases like this all the time. I'm starving to death. Has anybody in this room ever said that phrase? And I'll I'll tell you this, you weren't. You weren't. I mean, maybe there's a rare occasion that you were. I mean, but we use that. I mean, we think starving to death is between breakfast and lunch and we haven't eaten anything in between. We're starving to death. I mean, that's how my kids are. I mean, if it's not every snack every 30 to 40 minutes, they're starving to death. We, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying we, but that's sometimes how we live our Christian life. Oh, well, I'm starving to death for the Lord, but nothing in our life pictures that. We say it, it sounds good, and we, we say all the right Christian things, but really when it comes to our inner heart, there's no starving for the Lord. Hey, we're going to come and we're just going to get a little bit of off, off the plate on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday. Hey, it's good while I'm here, but I'm not going to do it all the time. And sometimes that's what our life looks like. I like to think about it like this. Maybe you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son. 
Luke chapter 15, and we know that he, he's tired of the way his dad's doing things, so he asks for his inheritance, and he, he goes and he blows all his living on that riotous living, and he, he ends up in, in the pig pen. And he's eating those husks, and he looks around, and the Bible says this, and he came to himself. You know what he realized? He realized that, that, that all the things that he was feasting on, it wasn't filling him. He wasn't satisfied. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have all that they need? And he, 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 he said, and we understand the story, and he goes to his father. It has this idea that he was desperate for everything the father had. Because he realized this, he went out and lived life with the world. He ate what the world says. If you eat this, you're going to be full. You're going to be satisfied. You're going to be happy. And guess what? He was empty. He had nothing. And when he had that desperation, because he realized, if I don't get to the father's house, I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to die. And he ran to, he went to his father and his father ran to him. That's the idea in this verse. That, that hungering and thirsting for the Lord, why your daily devotions is, there's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes we just do it to do it. I know I have. Well, I got to read my Bible today because, I mean, that's what we got to do. Well, I got to pray today because that's what I got to do. I mean, I guess I got to go to church Sunday because that's what my wife told me and I'm the preacher. <laughs> Listen, your preacher's probably not wanted to come to church too. I mean, we're like that at times. And, 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 but, but what Jesus is wanting us to see here is, is we're not here just to, to get a bite of his righteousness. No, he wants us to have the whole thing. He wants it to engulf every area of our life because he knows this. It's the only thing that satisfies it's the only thing that fills an empty soul. I, I don't really care going for going to the mall. Anybody like that? Your wife make you go? You just get to sit on the bench out there? But there's one place of the mall I do love. The food court. Why? Well, COVID kind of messed this up, but they used to have these things called samples. On little sticks. And they had a little meat. You know what I would do? I would walk by and eat a sample. Then I walked by and act like I didn't know what was going on again. I'm like, and, they, and the lady just never recognized me. I just kept eating the samples. But I, I wasn't going to go all in and like actually spend money and pay for the food. If I walked by enough times, my wife shopped so long, hey, I was full by the end of the night. Listen, Jesus isn't saying, hey, why, hey guys, if you don't have any time, why don't you just come and sample some righteousness? Why don't you just walk by a few times? Why don't you come when the doors are open? You know, because you can only get righteousness at church. No, that's not what he's saying. No, there needs to be something in your life that's real. That you're hungering and you're thirsting. Hey, you can do this. You can hunger and thirst for righteousness at your work and at your school and at your home and in every aspect of your life. Hey, you need to be so hungry. It's this desperation that you just want as much as you possibly can. That you're so thirsty that you're just going to open your mouth and just put, hey, if it makes it in, it makes it in. But I just want everything the Lord has to offer. You, you, went, you went through the line at Thanksgiving. You got everything that that buffet had to offer. I saw some of your pictures on Facebook. I was like, my goodness, they're going to eat all that? I guarantee you that wasn't your first plate. But why when it comes to the Lord, we just get as little as possible. We're just going to kind of, we'll just get a little bit here. I'll get some more later. Why, why, why do we settle for so little? And Jesus says, no, I want you to be desperate for me. I, I want you to hunger and to thirst because if you don't get it, you may die. It's the only thing that can ever satisfy. 
Say, why is this so important? Why, why would Jesus mention this? Why does it matter how much I hunger and thirst after righteousness? I'd submit this to you because it's a clear indicator of where your life is. It's a clear indicator of where your heart is. See, one of the great things about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus isn't trying to modify our behavior. I think sometimes in Christianity, we, we think that's what Christianity is. That we're just trying to modify some things so we're just good people. No, no, we're not good people. We need Jesus Christ. We need him in every aspect. So how do we know? How do we know if we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Well, it's evidenced by what you consume. We, we've, we've all heard this saying, you are what you eat. That's not good after this week. I'm a giant sweet potato with some rolls and butter. I mean, that's just what I am. What's your spiritual diet look like? What are you consuming that's causing righteousness in your life? Is it the righteousness of Christ or is it things that are going to promote you and to lift you up? Because Jesus said, no, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father. So when we look at our diet, when we think, see the things that we're consuming, we need to see, hey, what's my appetite look like? How hungry are you for the Lord? Is it, is it the first thing that when you wake up, you think, man, I want that. I wish that was my, the case every single day. But there's days where, you know what, I, I just think, ah, I don't think I got it today, Lord. Hey, there's days like that. But you know when it's like that, you know what you need to do? Hunger and thirst after him. Hey, take it to the Lord. Maybe your appetite's not where it needs to be. Maybe you can look at your life right now and realize, you know what, there was a time in my life where I was closer to the Lord than I am now. Here's the great news. Hey, you can get back there. I love that quote. I, I can't remember all of it, but Jesus is the only king that, that, that when you fail him, he'll forgive you. Listen, if your appetite's not exactly where it needs to be, hey, the Lord wants to help you. So I want to give you just a couple of practical ways that we can develop an appetite for righteousness. I think the first one is this, through worship. I, I love the spirit here at, at Fellowship. I love coming here and just hearing the, uh, the church sing and, and the spirit uh, that, that it's done with. Uh, listen, it, it's a great thing to be in God's house. It, it, you, the Bible tells us that we should, we should be here. You should be glad. I, love when, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm, I'm thankful to be in God's house and, it, it, and you should want to be here. Not so they count you. You know, this world's got this idea. They only want me there because the preacher wants to count me and take my money. That's not the truth. I know it's not true with this church. You, you, you know why you need to be at the Lord's house? Because it's much easier to develop an appetite when you're at the dinner table. Amen. When you're hungry, you know, I've seen the kids when we were at this week, they start getting hungry. They just come sit at the table. Why? Because that's where the food's served. Listen, you, 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 I know you know this, but you should be so thankful that you got a, a pastor and men that stand behind this pulpit that every single time you know this, you're going to get fed. You can't say that if you're going to leave this church, you can say, well, I'm not getting fed here. But that's why these church doors are open. It's so you can know the Lord. You can develop an appetite. And when you go home, you can talk to your friends. What do you think about that? And you can think on it and you can chew on it. And it changes how you look at people. It changes how you look at that coworker. When you realize, you know what? They need what the preacher was talking about. I can see how God's done that in my life. Lord, would you help me share that with somebody else? See, we need to make sure we're putting ourselves in the way of righteousness. 
where we can get as much as we possibly can. I love the story of Bartimaeus. He, he got as close to Jesus as he could, and Jesus just did the rest. You, you got to get there. You, you can't eat the meal if you're not at the table, and the less you're at church. And I know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to a Sunday night crowd on a Thanksgiving week. But we can even get in a, a thing where we're at church, but we're not really at church. I, I know we can get there. I've been there. You're just there because you know you got to be there. Because you don't want so-and-so and say, well, I didn't see you Sunday. You don't want that person to call you. You're, you may not be going for the right reasons, but when you're in your place, it can cause you to hunger and thirst. Just a song. Sometimes it's just a song. You just needed to hear those words. And it just does something to you. I saw a quote actually this week. I think your pastor even shared it. It said this, though, and I found it uh, very, very uh, kind of goes right along with this. He says this. Nothing grows a Christian like a serious commitment to a single church week in and week out for years and years. Not conferences, not social media, not even personal devotions. The local churches where mature, mature Christians are slowly forged in the fires of mundane faithfulness. Michael Foster said that. And that's awesome. Sometimes it, sometimes it is. It's just like, man, I got to get there. But I know this. I've, I've, there's been times in my life where I didn't want to go to church. But as soon as I got there and left, I thought, man, that's exactly where I needed to be. Because I, I, I went there and I was starving. I didn't realize I was starving. I thought, I'm fine. I got all these things, man. You know what? I, need, I just need rest. No, no, I needed the Lord. I needed what he had to offer to me that night. So we can develop an appetite through worship. I believe that we can develop an appetite through the word. Reading our Bible. Oh, it's one of those messages. I mean, I went to Bible college. They just said, hey, just tell everybody to read your Bible. No, that's not why we tell you to read your Bible. No, no, it's, it's, it's because everybody wants peace and happiness and joy. This is where we find it. This is the manual God has given us. Everything that he has for us is in this book. See, the more that you read and study, the better your appetite will be. As Pastor mentioned, singing these songs that are psalms. It's amazing when you're reading the Word of God and then you get here Sunday and the same things you're reading about are the same things you're singing about. I tell our church all the time, we're not singing songs just to take up space. No, we're singing songs because of the truth of the Word of God that's in them. And and when you're there and and, and you're in your Word, it, it it makes those songs just hit a little different. It makes them just a little bit more real in your life. You want the preaching to be better? I can't help you. I'm sorry. He's, he's trying. He's doing the best he can. He's a fantastic preacher. But I tell my people this all the time. You want my preaching to be better? Read your Bible. Because you're going to read things and we're going through a series and, and something's going to come out and say, wow, I didn't see that. And then you, you begin to see all these things and, and these aren't just random pages. No, no. It's the mind of God. It's the word of God and it's cohesive and it's all together. Why, why would the preaching be so much better? Because you have an appetite for it. You think, I want, I want to see what else God has to say. Yeah, I want to see how God is working. So we can, we can develop this appetite through worship and through the word. We can develop it through work. See, work greatly increases the appetite. I know you can tell this, but I do work out all the time. And uh, I had some friends, we decided we're going to do P90X, and we started working out and doing that. Have you ever, if you've done that, cool for you. If you haven't, don't. <laughs> it's like 90 minutes of torture that you, you do for fun. 
We did like five. And of course, they all worked a job where they had to be there like at seven o'clock, you know, and I'm in the ministry. I only work one day a week and golf the rest. But they want to do it at five o'clock. So I'm like, whatever, I'll try this. Because I was like, man, I, I, maybe I should work out. I eat a lot of ice cream. I just need to, you know, tone up a little bit. Didn't work at all. But you know what I found out? I was extremely hungry after working. So much so that I started, I started going to the drive-thru to order lunch at eight o'clock in the morning. I'd pull up there and I'm like, hey, I want a number one cheese, all this stuff. And they say, well, it would take a little bit. We're still serving breakfast. It's like, what time is it? It's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to order a full-blown lunch. Why? Because when you do a little bit of work, it's going to increase your appetite. When you get plugged in, when you get involved in the service of the Lord, it's going to, it's going to increase your appetite to be more like him. Because when you start seeing what God is doing, when you start, when you start really getting plugged in and helping people find and follow Jesus, you realize, you know what? I don't have anything to offer him, but God does. And maybe I need to be a little bit more like him. And it develops that appetite. And when you see what God is doing in your own life and how God is working and moving and, and he, you begin to share it and other people's lives are being changed. You know what you realize? You know what? I want more of that. I want more and more of it. So we can develop through worship and through the word and through working and getting plugged in. I know there's plenty of areas you can get get involved here at the church. But ministry doesn't just take place on on this campus. It takes place all over this community. And it takes place in all these different areas. Listen, the Lord has something for you to do. The question is, are you doing it? Are, Are you developing that appetite? But another way that we can develop this appetite is through watching. We've said this phrase, maybe you have, well, I'm watching what I eat. For some of you, that means you're on a diet. For others, that means you're watching it from your fork to your mouth. That's more, that's more my style right there. But it really has this idea that we're just careful about what we put in. Jesus makes that very clear. If we had time to really go through this Sermon on the Mount. He, he cares about what goes in our life. He cares about the heart. He cares about the inner man. He cares about this inner righteousness is based on him and not us. See, we can develop our spiritual appetite by watching what we eat spiritually. We're not going to get on a hobby horse here or anything. I think we understand what that means. I don't know if anybody's like me. I'm a snacker. And especially sweets are really hot salsa. I mean, I could just eat that all the time. And I growing up, my mom would say this all the time. Every mom in this room has said this. I'd come and get a snack. I'd be open to the pantry. She says, you can't eat that. You'll ruin your. Yeah. I'm like, what does she know? She knows a lot. She's a mom. You know why many of us don't hunger and thirst after righteousness? It's because we have ruined our appetite. It doesn't mean inherently bad things, but sometimes we're just snacking on all these things that don't do any good for us. It's like cotton candy. Tastes really good, but you know what? Does nothing for you except give you cavities. But that's how sometimes we live our Christian life and and, and we're, we're snacking and we've spoiled our appetite and we feast on what the world says will fill us up. And what they say that will make us happy. And guess what? It leaves us empty and it leaves us hungry. It's like the message your pastor preached this morning. It's like a king that says, hey, you do this and this and it'll be satisfied. You know what? It doesn't. It never does. And we have to watch what we eat and we have to understand what are we consuming? What are we hungering and thirsting after? Because here's, here's the truth. You're hungering and thirsting after something or someone or something. Here, here, here's the question. Is it helping your appetite for the Lord? 
Is it drawing you closer to the Lord? Our diet as a Christian should be drastically different from the world, spiritually speaking. But sometimes we want to feast at the same tables and eat the same things and wonder why we're not getting closer to the Lord. Because Jesus tells us the reason why. It leaves us empty. How can you tell if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Because those that hunger and thirst after righteousness are consumed with a passion for it. They have an insatiable appetite, an intense longing to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what it boils down to. Because they come to this realization, and I hope that you have, and maybe you have, and the Lord's just rekindling that fire. If you don't have this, you're going to starve. You are starving to death. If you don't have this, if you don't have Jesus Christ, you will die of thirst. You know, Jesus told us this, that he's the bread of life. He's the living water. He, he is all of these things. Why? Because he is the only one that satisfies. See, if you aren't hungering like you should and thirsting after his righteousness, develop your appetite. Hey, when you come to church, you say, well, I'm at church all the time. Do you come with the spirit of like, let's see what the Lord can do today. Do you sing out with all your heart and realize that the songs that you're singing, they're not songs. They're what the Lord's done for you. How God's changed your life. Are you just going through the motions, reading your Bible? Are you diving in there seeing what can I learn about the Lord today? What does God want to show me today? You can read as you can read a 50 chapters a day, but maybe you just need to read five verses and just get in it and just let the Lord just feed your soul. Maybe there's some area God's wanting you to get involved in, get plugged in, get to work. Maybe it's that coworker. Maybe it's that neighbor. And the Lord's saying, listen, you see the banner every single Sunday helping people find and follow Jesus. Am I doing that? Maybe, maybe you're scared because you're thinking, well, my life's not what it should be. None of us are. But are you thirsting after him? See, because the more that you're like Christ, the easier it's going to be to be that light, to share it, to, to show the others. Maybe we need to take an uh, inventory of our appetite, of, of our diet. Are the things that are, that are in my life, are they helping me become more like Christ? Are they hindering me? See, the world is hungry for happiness and it's starving to death. But Jesus tells us in verse, five, verse 6, if we're hungering for holiness, we will be satisfied. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is. We spent a whole holiday talking about food and eating and being thankful. There's nothing wrong with that. But how's your appetite? Who here is hungry for the Lord? Because that's what's going to make the difference. As an outsider, you know why I feel like the Lord blesses this church? Because it's full of people that are hungering and thirsting after God. But you can't just say, well, we are, so we're good. No, this is a continual thing. You don't go through the Beatitudes and say, well, I got that. I don't need to go back to that. Well, I got that. No, no, no. This is an everyday thing. We have to die daily to ourselves and turn it over to the Lord. Would you stand with your heads bowed and 